have sacrificed that we might worship our God this way. Please open your Bibles to the gospel according to Luke, the good doctor. Some of you said to me after last weekend, you tricked us. We arrived at chapter 8 and we thought for sure the parable of the sower, you were going to preach on that and you did not. You stopped at verse 3. And then after you heard the preaching, you realized why. The power in verse 3. What was the message last week? It's contrary to the contemporary church today and how the contemporary church believes it needs to grow. The focus of the contemporary church today is how far and how wide and how fast. But Jesus teaches us what? It's not the breadth of our ministry, but the depth. If you drive the roots deep into the soil of the sanctified life, God will make sure it goes where it needs to go. So we don't focus in this church on breath. You've given me the freedom to study. You've given me the, the, the gift of spending time in the word to bring that to you each week. And that's what we do here. One of the greatest compliments that I can ever receive is to hear people say, boy, you don't have much to say other than scripture. That's all I have to say. That is the only thing that will do any good in your life is to hear the preaching of the word of God, the whole counsel of God. And, and so the first three verses told us that God the Father had complete control over God the Son geographically. He didn't travel more than 60 miles in a tiny little speck on the map. God the Father had complete control over God the Son theologically. He preached only one message, the kingdom of God. And God the Father had complete control sovereignly over God the Son relationally and socially on who his inner circle was, the twelve and a bunch of women. And we preached it. And it's a message for the contemporary church today. If we focus on depth, God will take care of the breath. And he's done that. And we praise him for that. And I thank you for giving me the privilege to make that my primary focus. So open the word of God today, please, to Matthew, uh, to, excuse, to Luke 8, 4 to 15. It can be found in Matthew 13. It can be found in Mark 4. We're reading out of the Gospel of Luke. One final point. Listen, many misunderstand the purpose of parables. Sometimes we think these parables Jesus gave to us so it would make it easy to understand the word. There's a dual focus. There's a dual focus in parables. I first learned this from Dr. Sproul in seminary. There's a dual focus. First is to reveal. He who has ears, so God gives you ears to hear, reveal is revelation. You have the ability to receive revelation. So he preached parables to reveal, but he preached them also to conceal. It was God's divine judgment on those who refused to hear. This is powerful. This is not to be trifled with. Parables are very important. They reveal and they conceal. God simply said, if you have no interest in listening, I will not speak in a way that you will understand. And you'll see that in this passage today. So, let's take a look. This is it. The parable of the, I call it here, the parable of the soils. Parable of the sower. Lots of ways you could title it. It's all about whom? Say Jesus. Say Jesus. Everything in the Bible is all about. That's all. But we're going to call it the parable of the soils. We're going to take a look at the soils today. Okay? Let's take a look. May God be gracious to us as we read his word. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. 
Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant infallible word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. One day above all days each week that you call us into your house for corporate worship. We do ask that you would give us each week ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Jesus. Father, as this word goes forth, as this seed is scattered beyond the walls of this building, throughout the internet, electronically, we know not where the seed will land, but you do. And we ask that you make it a word of salvation for those who are not saved today. A word of comfort for those in storm winds that are blowing. And a word of rest for the tired and the weary and the heavy laden. All things to all people that some might be saved. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and Him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Four headings. We'll be brief running through them. The first heading under the parable of the soils is the path people. That's the first soil. Number two, the rock people. Second soil. Number three, thorn people. Third soil. Finally, the fourth, the good soil. You could call them this way, the unresponsive, the impulsive, the preoccupied, and the well-prepared. That's a way to put them in a context. Got to have a little background here before we dive in so that we can really see what's going on in this passage. First of all, we have to understand a little bit about agriculture. It's not like it is today. Back then, they didn't prepare the soil ahead of time. You'd have, a, you'd have the sower. Who's, who's the sower? Ultimately, the sower is the Almighty. We know that. But who's the sower? Anyone who scatters the seed. So any farmer. So who's, who's the sower in here? Say all of us. All of us. All of us are sowers. You have the duty and the responsibility to put that bag of seed over your shoulder and to travel around and sow the seed. Okay, but here's how it was done. They'd have the bag or if there was a large enough field, they would put it on an ox perhaps and follow behind it. And they would take the seed and they would just simply scatter it. And they'd leave it to the wind to blow it wherever it would blow. And they would follow different paths to throw that seed. But notice, it's thrown indiscriminately. Take a look at this. 
Here's the first contrast that you're going to see between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, and then we'll tighten it up at the end. A farmer, Luke 8, 5, we're not under our first heading yet, but this is just the background. A farmer went out to sow and was scattering the seed. He was doing it indiscriminately. He was just throwing it everywhere. It almost seems wasteful, but what was the point Jesus was making? How did the Pharisees sow their seed? They sowed their seed to the social elite. They sowed their seed to those who they thought might actually benefit by it and those they wanted to spend time with and those they invited into their teaching. Jesus says, no, 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 no. What's the seed? Word of God. Who's the sower? You. What are you supposed to do with it? Scatter it. Where? Everywhere. It's not up to us to decide who's going to receive it. We don't understand the difference between the good sower and the hard sower and the rocky sower and the thorny. That had nothing to do with us. Our job is to do what? Spread the seed. Throw that seed. And that's the point at the very beginning that Jesus says, you are to spread my seed everywhere. I'll take care of the rest. But you sow. And that was a clear contrast to the Pharisees who were very selective a very small group of the elite class that they would invite in. Jesus says, no, no, no. I've come for the world. For God so loved it that he gave me that whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. So there's, there's the first important point before we dive in. And then we got to go to Luke 8. There's this, this. Dr. Sproul would say this is a frightening parable. And we'll see it in a moment. Jesus called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, what does that mean? Who has ears in here? Say, I do. Everybody has ears. But there must be something going on here about hearing that we don't understand on the surface. There must be something about the hearing. He who has ears, the, the, the disciples, as soon as the disciples heard it, what did they say to him? Jesus, can you explain this to us? I, I'm not sure if we have ears to hear. We got ears, but what does that mean? Never heard that from you. What, what, he who has ears. So there has to be something about hearing. Okay? Take a look. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Don't miss this. The person without the spirit, the carnal man, every one of us by natural birth, does not accept the things of the spirit of God and cannot understand them. So Jesus says there's two kinds of hearing. Listen to me. There are two categories, only two categories of hearing. And in the second category, then there's three that break out. But there's two categories for hearing. One is head. That's the first one. Head hearing. What does that mean? That's the intellectual. Never goes past the head. You ever heard the phrase, you can miss heaven by 18 inches? You heard that? You know what that means? It's a theoretical distance between the head and the heart. Now, 18 inches really depends on how big and fat the head is, Right? Right, if you've got a really, really big head, right, it could be less distance. It could be 15 inches. I don't know. It could be 14. You understand the point? It never drops. The intellectual. I hear. I'm listening. I heard the word. I hear. That's good for you. I've got no interest in that. But I hear. I understand what's being said. Head hearing. Never drops. But then there's another hearing. There's a heart hearing. They hear with the heart. But inside of that level, there's three. Oh, boy. Now we got to deal with that. Okay, so we're going to go to head hearing first. These are easy to pick out. This one's easy. So let's dive into this. Let's dive into this very quickly. Let's see the ones that listen with their heads. 
Then we'll go to the hearts, and God will be gracious to us, we pray. Ready? Let's head out into deep water and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, path people. You can't miss these. These are the unresponsive. These were the Pharisees. They had no interest in the message of the kingdom of God. Why? They needed no king. They were saving themselves. They were already in. They were not sinners in need of a savior. They were the ones that went up to the temple and said, I thank thee, O God, I'm not like other men. Some fell along the path that was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Now, you've got to pause. You've got to ask a few questions. Remember, you have to understand agriculture back then. The field was sowed after. What's the field? Most fields weren't even cordoned off. There, there, there's really no fences, and there's no ropes, and that stuff. And there's paths that run around them and run through them. And paths that were traveled often would become very hard. If you've ever fertilized your lawn at home, some of you have fertilized, and the fertilizer gets spread, and... Some of it goes on the grass, but some goes on the sidewalk, right, or on the street when you get close to the edge. That's basically what the picture is from, from a modern-day analogy. It, the ground, it's not going to go through the c- cement, not going to go in the sidewalk. That's how hard the path is. It's not going to go anywhere. But then there's something that catches our attention, the birds. What, what is that? You have to go back to understand first-century rabbinical literature and what the birds were likened to. The birds were likened to the devil. So Jesus tells us that. Watch. Jesus interprets the parable for us. We don't have to do it. Very easy to exegete this this week. Jesus did it all for me. Ready? Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil. So the devil's the birds. The devil comes, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So it's a very clear picture. These are the intellectuals, have no interest in religion. They say it's for you weak. Weak, fearful people, you need a God, you need a religion, you need those things. I do, I'm an intellectual. We've gone past all that. That was good in the dark ages. We're in the enlightenment time now. We don't need this. So the birds, the birds, the seed is laid there, and the birds, the devil, comes and takes it. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Let me make this clear. This is judgment. God's justice is poetic. It is as poetic as it is powerful. What is God saying? You don't want to hear? You, don't, you have no interest? And I'll speak to you in a way that you can't hear. It's justice is poetic. This is judgment. Judgment on those who are unresponsive, who refuse to hear. So take a look. The God of this world, right? There, there's your God of this world. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But that's all of us. That's all of us at the beginning. We don't come into this world believing. We are dead in trespass and sins, not until God awakens us from our death. So the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. First people, path people, easy to find? Sure, they're everywhere. They're the ones that we send our kids to in the academy, the universities that are not Christian. So we do our best to prepare them. To help them understand the truths of the gospel and how to express their faith intellectually. Remember what we've said time and time again in this church. You don't need apologetics for you to understand your own personal salvation. You have the inner witness and the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you know you're saved. You know the work of God in your heart. But that doesn't track when you're talking to an intellectual. They don't care about your personal experience. You have to be able to speak intellectually about this faith. Why is Christianity true? If it is, you have to be able to explain it. So that's what we teach apologetically. It's powerful to be able to enter back into the what? In, in, into the public square. To re-engage in the conversation again. 
We don't send them to the academy and the university saying, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. We don't do that. That's fine when you're a little child at home. Why is Christianity true? This is the only religious worldview that is rooted in historical events. One after another after another. So the mind is blind until God shows up. Okay? Path people. These are the pharisaical head hearers. That's number one. Unresponsive. Number two, and now we're going to get into a little more difficult area. These are easy to identify too. It takes a little heat, but you, you know these too, okay? Rock people. Luke 8, 6. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Again, understanding the cultural context in Palestine at that time, and, and today, much of the land is covered with, with thick limestone. But you can't see much of it, right? Because it's covered with a very thin layer of dirt. So the point that Jesus is making, that that seed, that seed is thrown over that dirt. You can't see down there, but what happens is those roots start to go down and right into the limestone. And it, no depth, no root, no growth. And then something happened. So now he interprets it for us. Ready? 8.13. Those on the rock. This is, this is important. We have to pause here for a moment. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy. You know who those are? You ever speak to a master of mass evangelism? One of their great discouragements is those that actually do follow up and find out how many, how many in those tent meetings and revivals, how many... For them, it was nothing more than an emotional response. They received the word with joy. But a week, three months, a year later, nothing. They're gone. Why? It was an emotion. Jesus says there can be an emotional response. Let me make this perfectly clear. You are not saved. You are not justified by a profession of faith. You are not. You are saved by a possession of faith. A faith that has been given to you by grace from God. That is an, a work of God all by himself. So we see this in the church today. And then what happens? They, they have no root. And the first time it's hot, a really hot day, testing, trial, they fall away. You'll hear them say, I didn't sign up for this. this listen to this. <laughs> this is one of the great, it, it, it burdens pastors' hearts who preach the whole counsel of God. Do you know how many millions of people in this country are converted to Christianity and not Christ? There are pastors who make Christianity so attractive. These people are converted to Christianity and never to Christ. Never. And what you win them through, you win them to. And the first hot day the first trial, the first unexpected storm that blows in, where's John? Where's Mary? I don't know. They're gone. They're gone. They just withered and left. There was no root. Jesus said it was an emotional response filled with joy. But be careful here. They believe. Look at, look at. They believe for a while. Don't listen to some of these people who preach. Well, this is telling us that you can lose your faith. 
No, this is spurious belief. This isn't real belief. This was an emotional response. They got all caught up in the emotion. If you have faith, you never lose it. And if you lost it, you never had it. John says, they're no longer with us. They went out from among us because they weren't with us. They weren't part of us. So there's a group of people, they worshipped what they lost in the heat of the day. How do you know what your functional God is? Think about something you can't live without. That if you lost, it would tip your life completely upside down. That's your, that's your true God. They were worshipping something other than Jesus. And when the heat struck, they withered. They died. Easy to see them. They leave. They go away. Okay? Clear about the second group? Rock people want, listen, they want a Santa. They don't want a Savior. They want blessing without burden, success without suffering, and triumph without testing. That's what they want. And that's what they sign up for. And that's what they're preached. Come to Christ. Come to Christ and all your trouble will be gone. Come to Christ. You got the answer to every problem, solution. Come to Christ. That's it. Everything's going to go well. Things didn't even start to get messed up in our lives until 1995 when we came to Christ. That's when you begin to, be, to understand there's a difference between what you were and now what you are. You don't preach the whole counsel of God. Make, make, make no mistake what you're winning them to. You can make Christianity incredibly attractive. Jesus did just the opposite. What did he say? Count the cost. He preached. He said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not part of me. What, they walked away. They walked, he said, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, they walked away. How many were believers after he was resurrected? How many, how many actually were? Looks like the Bible tells us about 120. There were thousands and thousands and thousands who heard about 120. He who has ears to hear. Let him hear. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Here's the word of God. Listen. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. This is not to fear, cause you fear. and, and, and Examine yourself. What does your heart beat for? Understand it beats imperfectly, but what does it beat for? Does it beat for Christ? You're his. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless you fail the test? Rock, people, fail the test. Got it? That's the key. What's an example in the scriptures of rock people? Real simple example. Triumphal entry. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes to the name of the Lord five days later. Crucify him. Rock people. That's all. They're everywhere. But they go away. They're, they're, not, they're not sitting next to you. I hope. No, they're not. They're not. They're not. It's, it's already been hot in here. We preach the heat. Right? Got to make it hot. Some people say, boy, you really gone to meddling today. That's my job. Right? Right? Afflict, afflict the comfortable. Right? That, that's, the, that's, what, that's the goal. So it, it's got to get hot. You got to preach the heat, okay? They wanted a Santa to give them stuff, not a Savior to take their sin. Number three. Now, here's, here's where, th this is where theologians say this, is, this gets scary. Listen to me. Thorn people, 
they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They don't leave. When it's hot, they don't leave. They stay. This is what Jesus said. Weed and tares. Visible, invisible, church. Can't unpack all of that, but you understand you've heard me preach that. Thorn people are right here. Thorn people are here. They're listening by way of the internet. They're in churches all over the globe. Thorn people are here. Okay? Jesus said what? Lord, Lord, we, 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 see, the, we see some of these. We see some of this, this, this thorn stuff. We see some of this, these tears. Should we pull them up? No, 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 no. But let me handle that at the end of the day. At the end of the age, I'll handle that. You just do what I've called you to do. Go scatter the seed. Know that there's going to be wheat and tares. Know there's going to be thorn people. You know that, but I'll handle it. Let me handle that. You scatter seed. Well, how do I know if they're true believers? You don't need to know. That has nothing to do with you. Scatter the seed. From personal evangelism to massive, that's not a slight against massive. We have to do all of that. Scatter the seed. But what does the parable tell you? Most of, three out of four soils aren't in faith. They're not. But scatter the seed. Scatter the seed. Okay? Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and it choked the plants. These people invite Jesus into their kingdom. They, they, he interprets it. Verse 14. The seed fell among thorns. It stands for those who hear. But as they go their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. The writer of Hebrews says what? They still need milk when they should be eating solid food. They never matured. But they're in the church. They're, they're here. Matthew 6, 24. What does Jesus say? You cannot serve both God and money. They love their Savior, but they live for their stuff. They're everywhere. They are everywhere. So know that. Examine your heart. Listen, I have people say to me, and I've had issues, especially in couples, who've come to me and said, you know, I'm convinced the only way that you know that you're saved is if you know that moment in time when it took place. That's not true. That's not true. What about all of you kids, all of you kids who grew up in a Christian home? Kim and I did not, we were saved, I was saved at, at, at third, at, in 1995, so was Kim. We, we did not grow up in a Christian home. We can tell you that moment. We can tell you when it took, but many people cannot. Billy Graham would tell this story. Because you, you cannot base your, your, your conviction of conversion on your experience. You can't do that. You have to be careful with that. Especially in Christian homes. So Billy Graham tells a story. He's coming home from a baseball game. One night in North Carolina, he stopped in a, in a tent revival. He, he just he stopped and he went in. And he heard the preaching of Mordecai Ham. And he listened to the preaching and he got saved. Right then, right there, Billy Graham was converted in that tent revival. And he could tell you to that instant when he was saved. His wife Ruth, on the other hand, was a Presbyterian. She couldn't tell you. He said within five years she had no idea when she was saved. Why? She grew up in a home that was Christian. She grew up under the teaching of the catechisms. She did, so you cannot base your understanding of your own salvation on this supernatural experience. Many don't have that. It just simply takes time for that seed to germinate and to grow. So don't base it on that. You know what your heart beats for, yes? 
Okay, I just want to make sure we cleared that up. Because I hear people say, well, he never had the experience I had. He doesn't need to have that. Stop that. You're not saved by an experience. You're saved by Christ. So, just these people, they love, they love Jesus. They love Jesus. They got the fish on the car. They got the license plate. They got the fish bag. No, no, they, 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 they wear the fish jeans, and they wear the fish shirts, and they got the fish legs. They got fish everywhere. Fish everywhere. They got fish tanks in the house. They're fishing. They fish. Fish everywhere. They love fish, but they live for their stuff. They live for it. I ran into one of those, whoever it was the other day. I'm going. I wasn't feeling. I'd, I'd go into the, the place to get some medicine. I, I go to the, the walk. I pull in. It's raining. I want to get near the front. This guy taking two spots at an angle. No, I'm more sanctified than that, Brian. I don't want you to think what I was thinking. Because I thought to myself, what if I just bumped into that as I walked by? What if I just bumped into that mirror as I walked by? Because he took up those two spots. I got to go way over here. It's rain. I got to go through. He was trapped by his car. He couldn't pull in straight. He's afraid to get Nick. Oh, I wanted to nick it with my hip, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. God's restraining hand was on me. I went in. I looked. Oh, I want to go out and preach the word, but I couldn't, couldn't find him. We can get caught up living for our stuff, but listen to what I've told you how many times. It's not what you possess. It's what possesses you. you we all know people who, who have... A fortune, and they give with both hands. They can't give it fast enough. And we know some that have virtually nothing, and they squeeze the quarter so tight that the eagle screams. Ah! It never has anything to do with what you possess. God gives good gifts to his people to be used to expand the kingdom of Christ. It's what possesses your heart. Don't live for your stuff. You're not taking any of it with you. Going to somebody else, all of it. Thorn people. Path people reject. Rock people receive with joy, but no root from God. No root. No root. We see them, they're gone. But this group here, this is, this is frightening. You know what Jesus says? That, oh, here, here, see it. Thorn people, they receive, but they respond because there's no room. They're preoccupied with a divided heart. There's no room for God. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say at the end of the, of, of the Sermon on the Mount? What does he say? On that day, you will say to me, Lord, Lord. You know what saying the name twice means? There's a relationship. There's intimacy. There's something real. There's intercourse taking place between. You will say, Lord, Lord. Did we not? Did we not give a drink? Did we not clothe? Did we not feed? And on that day, I will say to you. This is frightening. Depart from me. These aren't people outside the church throwing stones. These are people inside the church that say, I love Jesus. But they don't live for Jesus. The heart has never been, they've had behavior, a portion of behavior modification, no heart transformation. The roots went down, but it grew up and got choked by all the cares of the world. Cares of the world. They're everywhere. Finally, thank the good Lord for the good soil. Now, now let me just clarify, it's not good people. Don't misunderstand, oh, these are the good, no, these aren't the good people. These are the dead people. Same dead people in the first three categories. But these dead people have been raised from death to life because what? God tended to the soil. God got it ready to receive the seed. Okay? So these are good soil people. 
Still other seed fell on the good soil that came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. This is holy hyperbole. What produces a hundred percent? This is unbelievable. That means every aspect of the field was, was productive. Jesus is saying, just trust me. Sow the seed, I'll take care of the rest. Seed was, fell on ground. It wasn't too hard. It wasn't too shallow. It wasn't too thorny. It was just right. God prepared it. And he unpacks it in Matthew. I, I showed you the Matthew one here because I want to show you this. So this is our close. Uh, seed fell on the ground, produced a crop. Not just 100, but 160, 30. You heard that? You heard 30, 60, 100? Uh, I'm going to show you what that means at the very end. But notice sometimes we have to come to the scripture and find out what it does not say. What, what, what is not being said here? Jesus does not say in the good soil. He never says the good soil will be devoid of stones and thorns. He doesn't say that. You're going to deal with stones. You're the good soil. Nod your head. You're the good soil. You're going to deal with stones. You're going to deal with thorns. You're going to deal with a divided heart at times. That's life. Why? You're still a sinner in need of a Savior. You will never go past being a sinner in need of a Savior until you have been received into glory. So you're going to deal with stones and you're going to deal with thorns. So Jesus never says you'll be devoid of stones and thorns. You'll never reach perfection on this side of the grave. But what does he say? You will be fruitful. By their fruit, you will know them. There's the power of the gospel, regardless of the obstacles you face. So here, what about the amount of fruit? Jesus shows that there's a distinction in an amount, 160 and 30, but there's no difference in his affection. Ah, wait for the close on this one. Don't, don't miss. Here we are, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Paul said, I planted. Apollos watered. Who determined 100? God. Who determined 60? God. Who determined 30? God. What was your job? Do what God called you to do. Leave the results up to him. That's why we preached last week. We don't focus on, on breath anymore. We don't, we don't even think about that. In the business world, that's all we focused on was breath. How far and how wide and how fast can we get the message out when we were in business? That's not the way it works in the church, and yet that's what many churches do. You focus on depth. My job is to preach the word of God to you, and you take that word out. You scatter that seed. And God will make sure it goes to where it needs to go. He'll determine, on, he'll determine the breath. We focus on depth. So I planted, Paul said, Apollos watered. But then we were done. We had nothing to do with the, the most important aspect of what? The growth. God supplies the increase. But you have to do your part. You, someone's got to plant. Maybe you've planted a seed, and five years from now, somebody's going to come by and water it. And somebody you've been praying for for 15, 20 years, you won't even know. Get saved. Why? You planted. You've been planting. Or maybe somebody's been planting and you come along and you water and all of a sudden this person, yes, I'm in. God has prepared that soil to receive Jesus. Our job is to just plant and water. So how do we close? Here it is. Don't miss this. Luke 8, 10. This is all about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. He said the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now, what's the difference between the kingdoms of the world and the, kingdoms of God, and the kingdom of God? What's the difference? There's a huge difference. It's everything about how they're established. If, if, if in the ancient world Alexander the Great showed up into a, a new territory and he conquered the territory, which he did, right? He looked around the breath of the world and realized as he wept there were no more worlds to conquer. How did you know you were conquered by Alexander the Great? You were either in his kingdom or you were dead. There was no alternative. There's a couple alternatives in the kingdom of the word. Why? It doesn't operate like the kingdom of the world. 
That's why they went from Hosanna to crucify. So let's take a look. Here's the difference between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of the word. Ready? Power, kingdom of the world. Weakness, kingdom of the word. Came through weakness. Jesus laid his life down. Violence, kingdoms of the world. Peace, kingdom of the word. Force, kingdom of the world. Force, by force you are coerced into their kingdoms. By faith, Jesus said, by faith. And finally, the sword, the sword in the kingdom of God comes by what? Hearing, hearing of the word of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The seed. And finally, the bloodshed of the enemies of the king. How, how is the kingdom of the world ultimately established? By the bloodshed of the enemies of the king. How is the kingdom of the word established? By the bloodshed of the king of the enemies. His bloodshed. It doesn't operate like the kingdoms of the world. So finally, here's the, here, here's the end. You say, but okay, I still have to deal with thorns and stones? Sort of. But I got a great word for you. Jesus dealt the final blow. He dealt it to the stony and the thorny ground. How? He was crowned with those thorns. They pressed them into his brow. And he was crucified, dead and buried underneath that stone. But on that third day, that stone was rolled away. And a dead man got up and walked. And he walked right into your heart and into your life. Perhaps for you today, for the very first time, today is the day of salvation. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, this is the moment of invitation. Jesus says, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come as you are right now. Surrender your life to me, Jesus says. I paid the penalty for your sin. I drank the cup of God's wrath for your rebellion. Now come to me. Bow before me. And salvation is yours this day. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. This is the invitation to eternal life. It's given to all those who will come by grace through faith. Let us pray. Father, for those, especially by way of the internet, who have never surrendered control of their lives to Christ, we pray that today is a day of salvation. You have tilled the soil. You have prepared it to receive the seed, and they heard the seed, which is the word of God, this day. We pray that you would implant that seed deep into their hearts, giving the gift of repentance and faith and raising them from death to life. Today is the day of salvation. And may they know from this moment forward, nothing will ever separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And Father, now a brief word in prayer for those who have been yours, some for decades. Keep sowing the seed and leave the results up to God. One rejection after another rejection should not reject you from delivering the word of God. They're rejecting Jesus. Just sow the seed and leave the results to God. And for that truth, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you all stand as we continue our worship?
free. A lot of confusion on that freedom. We're free. We're freed from bondage to sin and slavery to Satan. We're freed from that, but what are we freed to? To live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to our Lord. We are free. And Jesus said, don't be concerned about the level of production. I want all of you. I don't need any of you, but I want all of you. I, I, I want the 30s. Because I, I, I produce that 30. I, I want the 60s. I want the hundreds. I, I want all of you. Just put in what you have. Grow where you're planted. And leave the results up to Jesus. One body, many members. We each need all of us. To expand the kingdom of God. What a powerful message today. We are free in Christ. Thank you, praise team. Receive now the benediction of our God. And now may the grace, the grace, the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love, the unconditional, unwavering love of God the Father, and the fellowship, the forever fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you all. Go in peace. Sin was great.